to begin this evening here in just a moment. So I'm sure all of us have people in our lives that we are closer to than others. And that should come as no surprise because that's human nature, isn't it? And a lot of times the people that we are closest to are the people that maybe have something in common with us. Or maybe it is blood, maybe it is hobbies, maybe it's whatever the case may be. But for some reason we are drawn more to those individuals and those people. And what we do with those people is we want to spend more time with them. And I don't believe that there is anything wrong with that. But that's just our natural inclination. We want to spend more time with them. We want to tell them things. We want to give them the first bit of information. Right? Because they're most important to us. Well, when we think about Jesus, and we think about those that were closest to Him, we know that those that were closest to Him were not His flesh and blood. Right? Because there were the days where he was out teaching and he was out performing miracles and people had to come to him and say, your mother wants to see you. And he said, who are my mother? And who are my brothers? It's these who do the will of God that are my mother and my brothers. Those weren't his closest, were they? But he had twelve that he was pretty close to. But they all weren't equally close, were they? It's just a fact of the matter that there were three that were closer. There was Peter, there was James, and there were John. And all of the rest, as close as they were, they were still on the outside looking in. And there was a lot of question that they had, wasn't it? Who is the greatest? And I'll tell you what. I think we naturally have that question and we naturally have that disposition to be like, where do I fit in your life? Am I number one? Am I number three? Am I number twelve? As Judas would appear to be. And that's the way the disciples really wrestled with one another. And it's just a statement of fact. And it is just the way it is that these three were closer to Jesus than any of the others. That is not to say that the others didn't have an important role. That was not to say that Jesus did not need those other nine. That's to say that these three were more in tune with Him for whatever reason than the others. And so we begin looking at our series and thinking about, as we talked about, what made them holy? Now, when we're using this term holy in this way, we're talking about what separated them from these other apostles. Because remember last month, maybe it was when I did this last, maybe it was a month before, we looked at the apostles in general. What set them apart from all the other disciples? One, they were directly called by Jesus. They were given the authority to perform miracles and to cast out demons and to heal every sickness. And they were chosen to be the ones to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. Well, within that group of the holy, there was even these others who were separate from them. And we know them as Peter, James, and John. So here's what we're going to do tonight. 
we're going to look at basically three instances of when Jesus does something special with these three. And we're going to learn a quality about these men uh, from those instances. And we'll probably, as the year goes, probably actually have a sermon on Peter alone. And a sermon on John alone. But tonight we're going to do with Peter, James, and John kind of as a unit as, as we think about them. So if you're there in Mark chapter 1, the reason we're going to use Mark is because it's probably good that, I shouldn't say it's probably good, it's probably where Mark got his information from is from Peter and the Holy Spirit. It seems as though this is kind of like Peter's gospel. And we begin in Mark chapter 1 different than the other Gospels because he just straight up begins with John the Baptist. And there's no record, it's just John the Baptist on. And we learn after the baptism of Jesus in verse 12 that John had been arrested. And we go to verse 16 and it is during that time that Jesus has already been teaching. The disciples, he already has plenty of them, but where he calls the three disciples. We learn about the day in which he says, hey, you come with me. Not, hey, you believe in me. They already believed in him. But, hey, you follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Now, here's what I want to point out about that. If you go to verse 16 here in verse of chapter 1 of Mark, that Jesus, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, For they were fishermen. So we have our two sets of brothers here, Simon and Andrew. And do you remember anything about Simon and Andrew when it became when they first believed? It was Andrew who believed Jesus first. And it was in John chapter 1 where we have Jesus, where John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God. And one of the disciples that was there was Andrew. And he says, whoa, we found the Messiah. And he goes and he tells his brother Simon, we found the Messiah. And Peter went with him the next day. And Jesus said, yeah, you're Peter. That's who you are. It was Simon who was the first to believe. But at this day, we see that Simon is now mentioned first. Simon... And Andrew's brother, or Andrew's brother, Simon. We have this group of brothers, right? And they're out there fishing. And Jesus says, follow me. And so, as you know, verse 18, immediately they left their nets and they followed him. So now he's got Peter and John, or now he's got Peter and Andrew walking behind him. They're going a little further, and boom, here's another set of brothers who also happen to be fishermen. And we know them to be James and John, the sons of Zebedee, verse 19. And they were mending, and he does the same thing. Immediately he called them, and they left their father, and they said, Catch you later, Dad. we got other things to do. On, of course, a Mother's Day is the day we learn about a little bit of disrespecting your parents, but I don't think it was a disrespect, was it? Because the call is, you come with me, and they win. Okay, now why do you say this? Why do we point this out? Can you give me another apostle that we have their calling? When they were said, hey, you come with me. One other. Levi. Also known as Matthew. 
And I think the reason we have his is because he was a tax collector. Uh, and we learn about him in Mark's Gospel and in Matthew's Gospel. Those are the only instances we have of the disciples getting the specific call, come and I'm going to make you a fisherman of men, or come and follow me where we have their name. Well, that's somewhat important. But as we go on further in Mark chapter 1, we learn that they are in the city of Capernaum, which Jesus ends up kind of making his home of where he's doing his base, And they leave the synagogue where he has been performing miracles. In verse 29, I want you to notice who's involved in the story. And immediately he left the synagogue and he entered the house of Simon and Andrew. So Simon and Andrew, they lived together. And you remember that Peter's mother-in-law was sick. But notice the rest of that verse there in verse 29. And who was with them? James and John. So it's like we got a four we got our four guys. we got our four brothers that are right here. But you go a little further in our story after Jesus heals the mother-in-law of Peter. And it is the next day everyone hears about him performing all these miracles. And so night has fallen and it's no longer the Sabbath day. And so they start bringing all of these sick people to Jesus. And he's healing them. And he rose very early in the morning. And I want you to know to verse, 30, verse 33. The whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast many demons out. And he would not permit the demons to speak. So verse 35. So rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and he went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. He got away from everybody for prayer. And notice now verse 36. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. He said, everyone's looking for him. He said, why do you bring all of this up? Well, I'd never paid attention to that before. And all these times that I've read Mark chapter 1, I've never really paid attention that the one that is given credit for the searching is Simon. It is almost as though Simon says, they need you. And he gets everybody of his companions, James, John, and probably his brother Andrew as well, to go out and find Jesus. Everybody wants him. We've got to find him. And here's what I think we learn about Peter right away, is that he was their natural leader. He just got him up. He got him going. They need our Lord. Let's go find him. And guess what? Everybody followed in suit. And that's just what we see the rest of Peter's life. Is that Jesus himself recognizes him as their leader. Go to the Luke, in Luke chapter 22. And we know this statement very well as Jesus is preparing his disciples for him being killed and him being crucified where he tells Peter that Satan has wanted him. And notice this in verse 31 of Luke 22. He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And we know that. And then notice the leadership quality. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brother. That's what he wants. 
That's what he naturally did. How many times did Jesus ask the disciples a question, and guess who answered first? Guess who spoke on behalf of the twelve? Peter did. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So it's no surprise that Jesus in Matthew 16 would say, You're Peter, and I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. He was just the natural leader. So I'll step back and I'll say, so what does it have to do with him being in the inner circle of Jesus? Don't you want somebody that when you're gone, who can lead people in the same cause in which you have? Where they just take it up and they just run with it and they're able to rouse up other people and they're able to carry it forward? And someone that you don't have to always be on their case. Get up. Get to work. Get at it. But a person who naturally, they see something that needs to be done and they do it. And they get their companions to join in. Aren't we usually kind of want somebody like that in our circle? Somebody who will get everybody together. Because, man, we are working together on this thing. And what we see is Simon was a leader. Jesus knew that, right? He knows the hearts. Now, here's the next thing that happens. You go to Mark, the third chapter. So they were called to be his disciples. But in Mark, chapter 3, is where we have them actually listing out and actually being appointed as apostles. These 12 disciples that he chose. And it's an interesting tidbit that we have here in Mark chapter 3 that is unique to Peter, to James, and to John. I want you to notice here in Mark chapter 3, as he names these three disciples, I want you to notice here in verse 15, we have that he gave them the authority to cast out demons. So verse 16, he appointed the twelve, and notice this. Simon, and notice your parenthetical parenthetical statement, to whom he gave the name Peter, and James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name, and I can't say this, but uh, Michael, how do you say this? Boanerges, or however you say that. That is, sons of thunder. And then he goes on to list Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas. And here's the point. Guess what he gave all three of those? Nicknames. We don't give nicknames to just random people, do we? And why do we give people nicknames? Not only because they're close to us, because it's a name that is fitting for them. Sometimes it is, uh, what's the, uh, the word, an irony? is that you actually call them a big guy you might call skinny. Or a tall guy you might call little, or whatever the case may be. You know, it's, it's the opposite of that. In this case, no. What he names them represents something about them. So what did he name Simon? Because we know him by the name given to him by Jesus. He named him Peter. And we saw that back in John chapter 1 when he was called... And that was the day in which Peter believed, not the day he was called, but the day in which he went with his brother Andrew. And Peter shows up on the scene, or Simon at that time, he shows up, and Jesus says, today 
you will be called Peter or Cephas is the word. Which means, as you probably know, a rock. And as he says there in Matthew 16 to Peter, you are Peter. And on this rock, I'll build my church. Not only is it someone that's dependable, but I think the idea is it's someone that is a source of strength. And that kind of goes along with the leadership qualities. But it is someone in which people can rely. Where you go and you strengthen your brothers. Or as he says to Peter in John chapter 21, Peter, do you love me? And he actually calls him Simon there. Simon, do you love me? And he says, you know I love you. And what did he say? Feed my sheep. Simon, do you love me? And he goes on to that three times. Feed my sheep. Make them strong. You give them my words. You build them up. You lead them. You feed them. And he was going to be the one in which they, as we saw in Galatians 2, one who seemed to be a pillar. There's a strength when you look at Peter. And Jesus knew that about him. And that's why he said, when you have returned, you go and you strengthen your brothers. It wasn't going to take anybody to get Peter to change. Peter would have done it on his own. He would be what we call self-motivated or a self-starter. He would get up. He would do it. And other people would derive strength from him. What we learn about James and John here, these sons of Zebedee, what do you call them? Boa energies or however you say that? We're just going to, yeah, that B word, that Boa energies is, I'm going to say it. Uh, what's that mean? Sons of thunder. What comes to your mind when you think of somebody who is, man, they're thunderous? I picture kind of like somebody's loud, booming voice, right? They grab attention, or they command attention, or they are just like ferocious. And I wonder if that was a little bit about James and John. We know that James, or that John often calls himself, as we had read this morning, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he was hanging on the breast there of Jesus. And he was the one that took him home, took Mary home. And you think about that, and that just doesn't picture a guy who was booming or fiery. But you remember a story in Luke chapter 9, and I want you to turn there, that we don't have the instant in which these two brothers are called Sons of Thunder. But we have an instance in where we might get the idea that they were some powerful, thunderous people. And in Luke chapter 9, after the transfiguration of Jesus, Jesus is going to Jerusalem to be crucified. And He sends word ahead. He sends some people to prepare the way in Samaria for Him to come through and for Him to stay there. Well, the Samaritans didn't want that to happen. And the brothers of James, James and John, they have a problem with that. But we have a story before that. If you're back in verse 49, on that way, there has been a discussion among the disciples about who is the greatest. And of course, Jesus says, 
you got to receive like a little child. That's the greatest. And it is in that conversation in which John decides to chime up. And John says in verse 49, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him, because he doesn't follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. Can you imagine that for a second? You see a guy actually performing miracles, and he is doing it in the name of Jesus. And you come up to him and you say, you stop that. How dare you cast out demons in the name of Jesus? You're not one of us. Why do you think he did that? Might there be some jealousy there? They've just been arguing about who's the greatest. Might there be some misunderstanding there? Might it be someone who is claiming to be with Jesus, but they're not really there, and so you're taking a stand for Jesus? I don't know what the case may be, but Jesus says, hold on. If he's not against you, and casting out demons is not against you, that's working for you. Those demons are working for Satan. This is somebody who's doing a good thing. He's helping you, and he's doing it in my name. You're on the same team. He might not be one of us, but he's with you. Just like the man that was that had the demons cast out in the legion, those thousand that were cast out of him. He wanted to follow Jesus. He wanted to come with Jesus. And Jesus said, no, you stay here and proclaim in the region of the capitalists, the ten cities, all that God has done for you. Not everyone had the same mission. Not everyone got the same call. And John was like, you're not with us? Uh-uh. You've got to put an end to that. Well, then we see a story with him and his brothers. Again, the Samaritans don't receive Jesus. And so verse 54. So when his disciples, John and James, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and he rebuked them, and they went on to another village. Might we see a little bit of a fiery side of these guys? You mess with our Lord? Man, we're going to mess with you. And i tell you what I think we see out of them. Is that they were people who were quick and willing to defend their Lord at all costs. You're against my Lord? Uh Uh-uh. We're not going to put up with that. And Jesus said, hold on, man. I didn't come to destroy lives. I came to save lives. What are you guys thinking? So you got anybody in your circle like that? Who, they don't even care about the consequences. You crossed my friend, you crossed my son, you crossed my daughter, off with your head. And it comes from a right place. It comes from the right place of willing to protect and willing to stand up for someone. But a total misunderstanding of what it is that you are to protect. What it is you are to defend. And that's kind of where they are right now. They don't fully get it all, but yet their disposition is we're going to protect and defend our Lord. Don't mess with us. Don't mess with Him. And we know that John and James were both willing to do that, right? Remember they wanted the special honor. Had Mom come and talk to Jesus. You know, it works at school when your mom comes and talks to the teacher sometimes. 
it doesn't work well when your mom comes to talk to the Lord and the Lord says, it's above, it's out of my control. But remember what he said to James and John? Are you able to drink the cup that I'm able to drink? And they said, we are able. And we know that they were willing to defend Jesus to the death. John didn't die, apparently, by being crucified or being put to death. But we know he was exiled. But we know that James was the very first apostle to be put to death. And we see that in chapter 12 of the book of Acts. And here's where we also see a tie-in with James and Peter. King thought that was so great, and the people loved it so much, that the next person he wanted to kill was Peter. He wanted to go for the powerful ones. He wanted to go for the influential ones. He got one of them. But remember, Peter was let out by that angel in the night that he thought was a dream, and he got out and he made it. The point is, you pick people who are willing to defend you at all costs. And the third thing is not one instance, but is a group of instances. It's three instances in which they were chosen. We saw that they were called to follow Him. We saw that He gave them special names that none of the others... And by the way, and I meant to point this out back in Mark 3, the order has now changed. If we were going by order in which people became followers of Jesus, Andrew would have been at the top of that list. It was now Simon, James, John, Andrew. Andrew's out the picture. Andrew doesn't make the final three. He was there. Doesn't mean he's not important. But we now see the hierarchy that is there. So he chose these three, and these are obvious things in which we talk about. He chose them to witness a couple of things. One of them is in Mark, the fifth chapter. And again, we just use Mark Gospel because it's, it's Mark's Gospel and it's right there. And it is the instance in which a ruler of the synagogue by the name of Jairus, he comes to Jesus from afar and he says, My daughter is dying. She's about 12 years old. My daughter is dying. Will you come and will you heal her? And there are a ton of people that are around him. And he says, yes, I'll go. And so they go. And they're walking on the way. And so many people are touching him. Like, it's a mob house. And it, it'd be very claustrophobic. And there was a woman, remember, in the crowd that had an issue of blood for 12 years. And it was that day in which she said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made well. And she touched him. And Jesus stopped in the middle of that crowd and he said, who touched me? And Peter chimes up and said, what are you talking about? There's a whole crowd of people. What do you mean who touched you? He said, I felt power go out. He heals this woman of, of 12 years. And he goes, and he's going a little further, and more messengers come from Jairus' house. And they say, don't trouble the teacher anymore. The daughter is dead. And Jesus says, oh, let's go. And they get to the house. I want you to notice the statement. He gets to the house. There's much wailing. There's much crying from the people. There's lamentation. And go down now to verse 37 of Mark chapter 5. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And when he had entered, he said, why are you making a commotion? The child is not dead, but sleeping And they laughed at him. 
But he put them all outside, and he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and he went in where the child was, and he raised the child. Think about that for a second. He left all the other disciples hanging outside. He said, you can't come in here with me. Peter, James, John, you come with me. I thought about that a lot. Why? Why then? Well, I think maybe there's an interesting thing that is stated. If you go to the end, of this would be the first time we see Jesus raising someone from the dead, for a record. And if you go and you look at the end of the chapter of what he did for the parents, verse 43, he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to do. He told the parents, you don't tell anybody that I raised her. Now guess what? The other disciples knew that. But Jesus showed it to them. Peter would perform a very similar miracle. Here's why I point this out. I want you to go to Mark chapter 9 in the second instant. This instant of the transfiguration. When Jesus takes Peter, James, and John in verse 2 up on that mountain, and they get to see Him changed in all of His glory, and they get to see Moses, and they get to see Elijah, and they get to hear about the exodus of Jesus, and they get to see Him in that glorious body. And so as they're coming down verse 9, As they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. At his transfiguration, he also tells them, you don't tell anybody about this. You don't tell the other disciples. You don't tell anybody about this until afterwards. And then I'll have you think about this other instance. The other instance in which they're in the garden of... Gethsemane. I want you to go now to Mark the 14th chapter. And as they're in the garden, it's stated there that Jesus took the disciples with him in there. And notice in verse 32, he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. So he's got all his twelve with him. He said, sit here while I pray. And then you notice in verse 33 that he took with him Peter and James and John. And here's your emphasis. And he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. The other nine didn't see the great distress and the great trouble. It appears as though He's upset, but he waits until he gets with these three a little further to show how greatly distressed he really is. And i tell you what I think we learned from all three of these. Where there were instances in which he didn't want anyone to know, and instances in which not everyone got to see. Is that as people that he trusted, He trusted them. He trusted that he would be able to confide in them. That he would be able to tell them something and they would be able to keep it to themselves until the appropriate time. And that they would get to see, I hate to say this, but a weaker side of it. We don't show our soft side to everybody, do we? 
We put up, and I'm not saying Jesus put up a front, but we all understand that concept. Not everyone gets to see us in our weakest moments. We try to be as strong as we can be around the people that need us to be strong. But the ones that we can really trust and the ones that we can really rely upon, we'll let them see us in our weakest moments. Couldn't you just wait with me one hour? Imagine how bad they felt when they woke up and the next thing that they see as they wake up is Judas kissing him. And so it should be no surprise that Peter would whip out that sword and try to defend him. That's what they do. That's who they are. I'll get them. I'll lead into this battle. But Jesus could trust them, seeing him in such a vulnerable state. Could Judas be trusted? Remember he had that money box? What was he doing with that? Taken right off the top. Not all of them were the same quality. These three he could trust maybe better than he could his brothers. Because his brothers didn't even believe him for the longest time. So I have to ask the question, does Jesus see me as a leader of his people? That doesn't mean that everyone is called to be a leader of his people. Not everyone's a Peter in that sense. But does he see that type of quality in me? Or I'm a type of person that can get folks going. That I'm a type of person that doesn't need to be encouraged to get up and get to work. That doesn't mean that we don't need lifting up from time to time. But you don't have to have somebody on your case all the time saying, do this, do right, get it right. You are motivated. And you're motivated to the point where you can get others to join you in that. Where you'll go and they can lean on you for strength. When they need to go through it, they'll go through with it with you. That's a Peter. Or are you willing to defend Jesus? Are you willing to defend your brothers and your sisters in Christ? Or are we like, oh, nope, that's on you. You deal with that. Or, yeah, you make fun of Jesus. There's a lot of people who make fun of Jesus. Yeah, you don't have to. You just let it go. Or you're going to say, no, I won't put up with that. You're not going to talk about my Lord that way. How dare you? You know, and I'm not saying you do it in a in a fiery way. But you're willing to stand up for him. Could he tell us things and found us to be trustworthy? To where we can know the intimate things about him and we're not going to go blabbing those types of things to other people. Because we want people in our circles that we can trust, that we can confide in. And I tell you what, we've been given something that is very important. We've been given a task to not only save ourselves, that's what we're doing, but also to try to encourage others to do the same. And sometimes in that, we learn things about other people. And it's easy for me, it's easy for Michael We learn things about other people's lives, and sometimes it's hard to keep that in. And sometimes it's hard to be trusted, and we break the bond of the trust. And we all know what it feels like when we've been given something, and we've proved ourselves untrustworthy. 
We know how bad we feel, and we know how bad it feels to have given and been burned, right? God has entrusted us with salvation. That doesn't come at a small price. Use it. Lose it. All those talents. Use them. Or else, we're up the creek. Maybe we can be more like Peter, James, and John, and we can get closer to our Lord and leading His people. So, anyway, won't you?